it seems it seems really low considering that someone someone died tonight outrage with a fine given to a driver who opened their door killing a cyclist plus it's quite surprising because that's very unusual you know it's a sad situation murder mystery a 60 year old man is found dead in a machosan home the clue police hope will help solve the crime and homeless advocates refute the VPD's claims that a tent city in Oppenheimer Park is dangerous. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, I'm Colleen Christie. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. A pickup truck has crashed right into a store in Delta. Emergency crews are on scene at the Dollarama on 82nd Avenue and Scott Road, where a, a truck crashed into the store this afternoon. It has since been towed out of the shop. So far, no reports of any injuries or what may have caused the accident, but we're hearing the truck was empty at the time and it may have been in gear and possibly rolled into the store. The driver was apparently in the store at the time. The BC cycling community is speaking out tonight after a man was charged in connection with the doring death of a North Vancouver cyclist. Cycling advocates are calling for tougher penalties to serve as a deterrent. They want changes, major changes, to the way law views those who on two wheels. Nadia Stewart reports on the latest example of the conflict between those who ride bikes and those who drive cars. If you ask cycling advocates, they'll tell you the bike lane on West Esplanade is in need of an upgrade. You've got two lanes of heavy arterial traffic with trucks and buses. And then on the other side, you've got parked cars and their doors open actually across the bike lane. Don Piercy with Hub Cycling says the lanes leave no room for error, something made painfully clear back in January when Mike McIntosh was killed. A car door suddenly swung open, forcing the 55-year-old cyclist into the path of a dump truck. We're now learning 59-year-old Patrick Timothy Colwell faces a charge of unsafely opening a door under the Motor Vehicle Act. It seems, it seems really low considering that someone, someone died. Richard Campbell with the BC Cycling Coalition says calls are mounting for tougher consequences around bicycle collisions and fatalities on BC roads. We're recommending higher fines for Doring in general. If people are hurt or killed, uh, I think there should be higher fines or penalty or perhaps even jail time for, for such offences. Now after years of lobbying, it seems government is finally listening. Support from the province on move, commute and connect as an active transportation strategy couldn't come at a better time. In June, the transportation minister announced a new strategy aimed at getting British Columbians to embrace cleaner, more active ways to get around. The transportation minister hinted then a review of the Motor Vehicle Act is in the works. Both Campbell and Piercy say the act needs a new name and a new focus. Hub has been working for several years to get the BC government to update the act and rewrite it as a BC Safe Roads Act, focusing on not just cars and trucks, but also including other road users like pedestrians and cyclists. Recommendations have already been submitted, calling for tougher penalties once the act is updated. Nadia Stork, Global News. Police on Vancouver Island have a murder mystery on their hands. A man was found dead in a home in Machosan yesterday after failing to show up for work. As Kristen Robinson reports, investigators have released a clue in hopes of solving the crime. Forensic investigators comb a crime scene in a quiet rural community west of Victoria. 
It's quite surprising because that's very unusual. You know, it's a sad situation. Chris Dorrington and his neighbors on Brookview Drive in Machosen relish their privacy. So he was surprised to learn one of them was found dead Friday under suspicious circumstances. We're all on anchorages, so don't really see a lot of the neighbors. Most people kind of keep to themselves in this area, so it's pretty quiet. 60-year-old Martin Payne discovered inside his home after a report he was missing from work. Foul play suspected in his death. More concerned. It's kind of a shock. We, uh, you know, we don't expect these sorts of things out here. On Tuesday, July 9th, around 1 p.m., Payne's red Ford F-150 truck with BC license plate 7432HY was found parked on Woodburn Avenue in Oak Bay. Police asking anyone who saw the victim's truck or anyone associated to it between Monday and Tuesday afternoon to come forward. I really encourage uh, people to start thinking about anything unusual they might have seen. We would certainly hope they, they will step up. Machosen's mayor urging anyone who has information or saw anything suspicious at or near Payne's home to contact Vancouver Island's Integrated Major Crime Unit, which is working to solve the suspicious death that's shaken the district of just under 5,000 people. Very sad, and I hope that they can conclude the investigation quickly and take care of the situation so the poor fella can be put to rest. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Coincidentally, two inmates were on the run during part of the suspicious death timeline. 30-year-old Zachary Armitage and 42-year-old James Lee Bush, a convicted murderer, escaped from William Head Prison in Machosen at around 6.45 Sunday evening. They were at large before being apprehended at around 8 o'clock Tuesday night. The inmates were walking in Esquimalt's West Bay area when RCMP say they commented on the size of an off-duty officer's Great Dane. We reached out to West Shore RCMP to see if there's any connection between the prison escape and the suspicious death, but did not hear back from them. Police in Langley are investigating after a man called 911 to say he'd been stabbed. He was found in the 2000 block of 56th Avenue. A 32-year-old man was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. RCMP say it's early in the investigation and details of the suspect or suspects and a possible motive aren't known. A Vancouver Island man accused of holding a woman captive and viciously beating her two years ago will remain in custody until his trial early next year. Kahar Gary Sanga has been in custody since his arrest in April of 2017. The 54-year-old had applied for a review of his detention order, but earlier this week a Victoria judge denied his request for bail. Sanga is accused of confining a woman at his Duncan home in an alleged attack that spanned several days. The alleged victim eventually escaped through a bathroom window. Sanga's trial on aggravated assault, unlawful confinement and weapons charges is set for January. Advocates for people living at a tent city on the downtown east side are disputing claims about the site made by the Vancouver Police Department. On Thursday, the VPD put out a safety warning saying it was concerned about the increased level of violence at Oppenheimer Park. But as Jill Bennett reports, advocates for the homeless say that's where the residents feel the safest. It's the annual Union Gospel Mission barbecue, serving thousands of burgers and hot dogs. Only this year, it's at a different location. Free barbecue! I love it. It's a great place to have it. 
the event moved to Crab Park because of the growing tent city at its usual spot, Oppenheimer Park. We don't want to go there and say, please move your tent for this festival. That decision was made before Vancouver police raised concerns about safety at Oppenheimer, saying even armed, trained officers are reluctant to enter the park because of increased violence. When our officers are going to go through the park for a call for service or anything routine, They'll go uh, routinely, and what I'm hearing, in no less than four officers together. But those who are in the park daily, trying to help people living in the tents, say they find that difficult to believe. We don't see any major safety concerns um, when our outreach workers go there every day. I walk through there every day, and for the most part, the things that we're concerned about are the safety of the campers. Um, I come here almost every night, often about 10 or 11 o'clock. I've never felt unsafe. York says she's reported several incidents to Vancouver's 311 line involving what she says were the actions of police and city workers. So it's been things like uh, racist insults uh, towards an Indigenous woman, uh, another woman who was thrown to the ground and arrested when police were trying to take her things. With roughly 100 people living in Oppenheimer Park and several SRO hotels in the area now closed... York says the real safety issue here is housing and finding permanent homes for people who have nowhere else to go. Jill Bennett, Global News. Our requests for comment from the Vancouver police and the mayor's office were not returned by airtime. A contractor has been fined in the January 2017 death of a construction worker on Vancouver Island. Roland Hutzman died Hutzelman, rather, died while installing a plywood subfloor on the fourth story of a condo building under construction in Saanich. A strong wind caused a sheet of plywood to lift. The 51-year-old grabbed the plywood, but the impact pushed him to the edge of the building and into a guardrail, which broke. Hutzelman plunged nearly 10 meters to the ground and died in hospital. In December, WorkSafe BC fined Cedar Grove Framing Corp nearly $8,000. An investigation found two high-risk violations. Guardrails were not built to regulatory requirements and other forms of fall protection were not used. Legislative House Speaker Daryl Plekis has launched another investigation into the suspended sergeant-at-arms. Gary Lentz was recently cleared of misspending allegations after an investigation by former Supreme Court of Canada Chief Justice Beverly McLaughlin. Well, now Plekis has commissioned a new investigation of Lentz under the Police Act. In his role as House Leader, Public Safety Minister and Solicitor General Mike Farnworth told Global News a complaint was made to BC's Police Complaint Commission two months ago by someone with an extensive law enforcement background. It's considered a human resources matter and not a criminal one. Lentz and now retired legislative clerk Craig James were suspended last November after Plekis alleged thousands of dollars in questionable spending. James retired in May, citing stress. Neither has been charged with any crime. Um, before we get to Saanich City Councillors are dealing with an issue that appears to be getting worse. On Monday, they'll discuss implementing new rules to end meetings by 10 p.m. The objective is to avoid late-night meetings like the one on June 18th, a public hearing about a controversial rezoning that stretched on until 1.40 a.m. According to Sandwich Councillor Junie Brownoff, other communities already have rules stipulating meetings must end by 10 p.m. Still, not everyone agrees, meaning Monday's meeting about the issue, ironically, may go late.
Uh, a week ago when we had the public hearing, they were still speaking at one, just after one o'clock. And so no, you can imagine if council was going to make a decision that night, that council, that public hearing would have finished probably at three in the morning. And I just don't think that's fair for democracy. I think we're here for the public and we need to do our business so people can uh, participate and, and feel heard. A power outage left parts of New Westminster in the dark for about an hour and a half this morning. Motorists in the affected neighborhoods, including Queen's Park, Queensboro, and Sapperton, were warned to follow four-way stopping procedures because of darkened traffic lights. Some businesses were also forced to close after losing power. It was restored at about 9 o'clock this morning. The city, which has its own power utility, says it originated at a substation, but the cause of the problem is not known. An East Vancouver neighborhood was asked to come together to paint sewer pipes. There they are. Residents surrounding the Charles Street Boulevard east of Nanaimo were invited to paint a section of pipe that will be installed through the area's sewer separation. The event allows the neighborhood to make its own mark on infrastructure that will run right beneath their feet. Everybody who participates in this will will know that they are now a part of the of this big project that's a uh, that's under their feet that they are going to drive over every day it's a race that starts out like any other but what these competitors have to do to get to the finish line is nothing less than grueling and they're off ladies and gentlemen the red bull 400 is 400-meter race where 800 men and women hustle as fast as they can to get to the top of a snowless ski jump at Whistler Olympic Park. It's a head-down, hands-in-the-dirt, claw-and-climb-your-way-to-the-top kind of a race. The first section is actually relatively flat. The last three sections are all going straight uphill. To be perfectly honest, I don't think anyone really trains for this. I'm not sure it's even possible. We all sort of train for our unique sports, whether that's running or cross-country skiing or speed skating, and then all these athletes just show up and see what they can do. My goodness. Well, sunset shots are always popular on social media, but this particular sunset broke the internet. Have a look. This is Manhattan Henge, the annual astronomical event that, when the setting of the sun aligns precisely with the city's street grid. Thousands take over specific streets to get their best view and, of course, to pull out their smartphones. The term Manhattan Henge was coined by astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. That, that is wild. Mm -hmm. Super cool. I bet there is a standstill. You can't get anywhere at that, at that point. You don't want to be... You don't want to be driving down the street when yeah. all of that is going on, do you, Bear? Or hope it's a cloudy day. Yeah, exactly. A big, uh, big day in sports today. Yeah, lots going on. Wimbledon, Serena Williams in the final, looking uh, to become the, or at least tie the all-time record for majors. One, it was a blowout, and we say that when Serena's playing, you think she's going to be the winner, but she was on the wrong end, which uh, doesn't happen very often. So we'll have highlights of that. Simona Halep, the winner, and uh, Whitecaps back at it. First home game in a while uh, tonight against Sporting KC. So we'll have a little tee up of that one for okay. you as well. Okay, looking forward to it. Kind of an odd day today here on the South Coast. It was 
cool at one minute, and then it was sunny, and then it was cool, and then it was sunny. Yes, and we're going to kind of repeat that again for tomorrow. So a heads up, uh, we are going to see uh, some cloud cover for the morning hours, and then it'll break out towards the afternoon. But this evening, lots of instability uh, for the interior, especially the northeastern corners. A severe thunderstorm uh, watch is in effect. We're still looking at a few thunderstorms rolling through. We'll talk more about when we'll see the breaks for tomorrow coming up very shortly. Awesome. Thanks, Yvonne. New Westminster and the La Crosse community are rallying together to show their support for one of their own. Last month, 24-year-old Emily Goss was struck by an alleged drunk driver while visiting friends in London, England. She suffered severe head trauma and remains in a coma. Emily is a member of the Senior Women's Bellies and has played lacrosse most of her life. Her coach has organized a fundraiser at tomorrow night's game to show the Goss family they are not alone in this difficult time. To know that so many people were thinking of us and sending Emily messages, uh, it inspired us every day. We set up an email address for Emily, and our morning routine was to read those emails to Emily, and it, it really got us through the days. It really did. It was, it, it was amazing, and it, it just kept us stronger. And since we've been home, it's, it's continued. Um, and with this event, with the women's lacrosse game, it's, just, it's inspiring to all of us. And I know Emily, when she wakes up, she's going to be so grateful. The Goss family and Emily have volunteered with the lacrosse community for longer than I've been alive. Uh, they've always been there to support other, other people, regardless of the association, uh, if it's males or females. So it's now our turn to support Emily and to support the Goss family. And the fundraiser begins at 6 o'clock with a barbecue hosted by the City of New Westminster at Queen's Park Arena. The senior women's bellies face off against the Port Moody Grizzlies at 7. A prominent Canadian journalist is among more than two dozen people killed in a terrorist attack in East Africa. Houdin Nalaya and her husband were among 26 people killed in the hotel. The hotel, playing host to a group of Somali political leaders, was targeted by a car bomb. The attackers took over the building for more than 14 hours. Somali forces eventually stormed the hotel and killed the attackers. Three Kenyans, three Tanzanias, two Americans and a Briton were also among the dead. 56 others were injured. Militant Islamist group Al-Shabaab, trying to topple Somalia's central government, has claimed responsibility for the attack. Nalaya was the host of a popular YouTube channel sharing inspiring stories in the Somali community. The attack is a blow to the Somali government's efforts to hold democratic elections next year. Global Affairs Canada confirms another Canadian has been detained in China, this time in Yantai, a port city about eight hours southeast of Beijing. The government says the person is being provided consular assistance, but no further information is being released, including whether or not the Canadian is among seven foreign teachers and nine foreign students who have been detained on drug allegations in eastern China. At this point, uh, the detention does not appear to be related to the arrests of Canadians Michael Kovrig or Michael Spavor. Well, a fun night out turned into a night of frustration and then fear in a downtown Calgary landmark. Eight people stepped into an elevator at the Calgary Tower just seconds before it broke down, 12 stories up. Josh Ritchie reports on the harrowing rescue emergency crews decided to perform. We're all just so, we're all just so scared. 
It was supposed to be an uneventful night for Abigail Weber and Casey Fortner, tourists passing through Calgary from Kentucky. The pair were headed to dinner at the Calgary Tower at around 9.30 on Friday evening when things took a turn. They and six others stepped onto the elevator, beginning what would be a four-hour nightmare. We had traveled pretty far up. We weren't sure which floor we were on, but then we started hearing like crashing and tumbling noises, and then we started dropping. Everyone inside tried to get in touch with security on the ground, and after multiple calls, a woman believed to be having an asthma attack finally got through. The woman with asthma called her mother, and her mother called 911 because the authorities had not been called yet. So it was just the maintenance man coming. There was no fireman, policeman, anything called at that time. Both women describe feeling the drop as a free fall, feeling three significant drops during the four hours. Both believe it was because of a snapped cable, and luckily a knot kept them from hitting the ground. Calgary Fire arrived on scene and executed a high-angle rescue. All eight people were harnessed and pulled through the roof of the elevator and hooked to rappelling ropes. They were called to the scene to ensure that the elevator was secure and then remove the eight people, transfer them to the second elevator and bring them down safely. The rescue operation ended at around 1.30 in the morning. Both women are hoping the tower takes a look at the elevator shaft and makes the proper fixes. I don't want anybody else to be endangered by that same thing or have to go through that. Josh Ritchie, Global News. A city of 7 million people in India has run out of water. The situation is so bad in the city of Chennai on India's east coast, authorities are delivering water by train. Technicians worked to fill 50 wagons with 13,000 gallons of water each. Other Indian cities, including the capital New Delhi, are also grappling with severe water shortages. Social media giant Facebook is facing a massive fine for the Cambridge Analytical scandal. The Wall Street Journal reports Facebook will have to pay $5 billion for mishandling the personal information of its users. It would be the biggest fine ever levied by the U.S. Federal Trade Commission against a technology company. Uh, though, it's given its annual revenue, though given its annual revenues, critics call this a slap on the wrist and no deterrent. The settlement still needs final approval from the Justice Department. A warning if you think you're thinking of shopping for bargains during the Amazon Prime Day sales next week. Starting Monday, Amazon will offer discounts online for its Prime members. The online retail giant has used celebrities to promote its version of Black Friday. But security company McAfee says hackers are using a phishing toolkit plan to steal customers' account information, including birthdays, home addresses and credit card numbers. McAfee is urging everyone to watch out for suspicious emails that may appear to have come from Amazon or other companies that have a PDF file attached. In Health Matters tonight, some babies may be getting unnecessary surgery in order to help them breastfeed. Researchers in Massachusetts evaluated 115 newborns who were referred for surgery to correct, to correct the condition known as tongue tie or upper lip tether. That's when the tissue connecting the tongue to the bottom of the mouth is too tight. It can inhibit breastfeeding. But 63% of the babies with the condition ended up not needing the surgical procedure. Doctors say the babies were eventually able to successfully breastfeed following a feeding evaluation.
Well, the first hurricane of the tropical season made landfall today along the Louisiana Gulf Coast. And while Barry was quickly downgraded to a tropical storm, the system is still causing major problems and creating a very dangerous situation right across the region. Barry arrived as a hurricane and was downgraded almost immediately. It is now a slow-moving tropical storm that promises to saturate the Bayou State. Louisiana's governor, John Bell Edwards. This is just the beginning. Uh, I ask everyone to stay vigilant and be safe. High winds damaged this home in St. Mary Parish. Even in these wind conditions, crews were out cutting down snap trees. We've got telephone poles knocking down. Trees hadn't been trimmed in a while. So they start coming down and it's just been a, a nightmare keeping electricity on. Frank Grizzoffi is the Morgan City Mayor. The river here in the city was predicted to go to nine feet. It's at 10 feet. So we need to get this water to get out of our city so we can get back to work. Much of the area has been under evacuation orders since Thursday. Farmers were working to take their livestock to higher ground today. Water is flowing over the tops of a few local levees, like this one in the South Lafouche Levee District outside New Orleans. Officials in Plaquemines Parish encourage residents to stay north of this flood wall after they observed water overtopping the back levee in Myrtle Grove. Rain or shine, no matter what the conditions are, people still need to eat. And the only place that seemed to be serving food today in Morgan City was the Waffle House. And boy, was it packed. We didn't know where we were going to eat. That's where we met the Blewett family from St. Louis. We didn't know the hurricane was coming. My brother didn't check the weather. <laughs> During the interview, we heard an applause. But we weren't sure what it was for, so we asked the manager. We're in crisis mode, and every time a new associate comes in the door, that we welcome them that they're safe, that they made it safe to the Waffle House, and we always need help. Holy smoke, Yvonne. It's just, it's a, I can't get my head around that. First of all, that they didn't know. Watch a local newscast. That's that's why everyone at home is watching right now. Just in case you've got something really, really important to say. Yeah, and for them, it's significant rain and it's still storm surge. And that system is going to continue to push its way inland. We'll have more updates as they become available. Weather picture for us, though, very different. Uh, We are seeing more breaks in the cloud cover uh, this evening. Get out and enjoy it. It will remain dry. Temperatures have bumped up today. 24 is the high. With the Humidex, it was feeling like 26 and 27 degrees, so a warm day today. We had some beautiful photos that were sent in. This was a shot from Sandra and Enderby. Looks like a lot of people are out there enjoying themselves on the water. Sue sent this shot from Hornby Island and Jan from Loon Lake. So thank you so much for those photos. Now, temperatures today got up uh, to the 30s for a few spots. Southern areas of the Okanagan, a Soyuz today, 22 for Williams Lake, and coastal sections for Prince Rupert up to 19. We are are seeing that instability and it's really across the interior. We've got the risk of thunderstorms, the northeastern corners for the piece, a severe thunderstorm watch, so the potential to see very heavy uh, heavy rain, significant um, windy conditions rather, and we are also looking at a few thunderstorms across the central interior. Now, for this evening and into the morning hours across the south coast, it'll be cloud cover and then a clearing by the afternoon. Most areas, especially along the central interior, will start to see that instability for the afternoon tomorrow with the chance showers and risk of thunderstorms. Upper level chart showing us we've got a very weak ridge that is in place, but it's on Wednesday that it'll start to weaken and it is going to bring in the return for moisture across the province. Fire danger rating across the southern half. We're seeing it at a low to very low for a few areas and the northeastern corners at moderate to high. 
For the piece tomorrow, risk of thunderstorms, temperatures will be up to 23. We've got areas of smoke for Whitehorse, temperatures remaining into the low 20s. Coastal sections, it'll be on and off showers. It's inland near Smithers, risk of a thunderstorm for tomorrow. Caribou and Central Interior, unsettled highs up to 22, and then a nice improvement both Monday, Tuesday. Columbia and Kootenai region, warm tomorrow, risk of a thunderstorm, isolated. However, the Columbia region, I anticipate that you'll see some of that active weather pushing in. And the tops in Okanagan, a partly cloudy sky tomorrow, much calmer, a slight chance to see an isolated shower and a warm one at 28. Whistler will see that range between 21 and 26 degrees. There could be a few morning showers on Monday and across the island, northern areas could see an isolated shower. Most spots will be seeing that morning cloud cover clearing towards the noon hour. Temperatures tomorrow, another warm one, 23 with the Humanex. It'll feel like 27 degrees. Monday, Tuesday, a great start to the work week comfortable with highs up to 23 degrees. It'll be Wednesday. We're keeping a close eye. We'll start to see some rain developing. Heavier on Wednesday, easing off to showers on Thursday. Tomorrow, though, we'll see some sunny breaks by the afternoon and a high closer to 23. Colleen? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Uh, You want to take a look at this, too. A whale watcher had a pretty spectacular encounter, and it was all caught on camera. Have a look. Oh, I love him. Oh, he's beautiful. See you later, buddy. I love you. (laughs) Doug Shatford was whale watching in the waters off Massachusetts when he saw this whale breaching to get a bite to eat. The massive whale makes a splash, then lifts its fin up. Shatford said he nearly missed recording the event because his phone battery was down to just 1%. We are grateful his phone hung in there. Okay, Barry, on my to-do list, Mm -hmm. learn how to play tennis. Well... (laughs) Everyone's going back to the one-handed backhand, all right? I'm just going to tell you. Really? Well, Federer, I mean, the guy knows how to do it, doesn't he? Anyway, yeah. we'll talk women's tennis okay. to start. Uh, thanks, Colleen. Uh, Serena Williams has not played, uh, or at least had not played much tennis heading into this Wimbledon, but she's uh, gotten better and better with each match, and she seemed to be back at the top of her game heading into today's final against Romania, uh, Romania's Simona Halep. But Halep, also a former world number one, may have played her most dominant match ever, destroying Serena in less than an hour to deny Williams tying Margaret Court's record of 24 Grand Slam singles title. Tenth meeting between Halep and Serena, Williams taking nine of the previous ten, and we got royalty in the royal box, the Duchess of Cambridge, the Duchess of Sussex on hand. Meghan Markle had Serena at her wedding, and they're pretty good friends. Serena with seven titles, her 11th final, but Halep came to play early, chasing down everything. Clean winner there. And then the return winner down the line with the backhander. Broke Serena on her first two service games. Three love Halep. Serena's power is her big advantage. No one can match it, but Halep stood in there, had all the answers. Check out this cross-court running winner. Freezing Serena. Took the first set 6-2. Incredible quality from Halep in that first set. Second set, more from Halep, who hit the ball so crisply and accurately today. Another bullet winner from the backhand side right there. Breaks to go up 5-2 in the second. Triple match point. Halep serving. Serena will net the forehand, and that is it. Game, set, match. Halep in just 52 minutes wins her first-ever Wimbledon title. Serena now 7-4 and four in 11 career Wimbledon finals. But the story was the 27-year-old Romanian who now has two career Grand Slam titles. Unbelievable. <laughs> and um, it's 
it's something very special and uh, I will never forget this day because uh, it was my mom's dream uh, when I was about 10, 12. She said that uh, if I want to do something in tennis, I have to play the final of Wimbledon. So the day came. So my mom, thanks. Thanks to my parents, actually. That's a nice story, isn't it? The uh, Whitecaps are back home tonight at BC Place facing uh, Sporting Kansas City. And Vancouver is in full desperation mode. Just 14 matches left on the schedule. The Whitecaps are in 11th place in the 12-team Western Conference. They probably need to win 10 of their last 14 to have a chance to make the playoffs. Considering they've won just four of their first 20, this seems to be a tall order. Vancouver's 22 goals scored in 20 games is the worst in the West. Who's more miserable now, the Whitecaps or Lions? It's close. We'll have highlights tonight, win or lose, at 11. MLS tonight, Montreal Impact, Toronto FC, all-Canadian matchup. Impact, the only Canadian team currently in a playoff spot. They're fourth. Toronto is eighth. Top seven get in, but this helps Alejandro Pozuelo. Firing from 22 yards out, finds the corner. Great shot. TFC led 1-0, but a big storm blew in. Had to suspend the game for 25 minutes. They have resumed 1-0 in the second half. CFL tonight, Stan Peters and Ticats from Hamilton. Nick Arbuckle with another start with Bo Levi Mitchell out with a pectoral injury for another month. But it was the special teams who came to play tonight. Stamps Kadeem Carey blocks the punt, then scoops it up, takes it in for the touchdown. 14-0 Calgary, but back come Hamilton. They respond quickly as in the ensuing kickoff. Will likely from his own goal line, and uh, he will likely go all the way. Goes to find the other goal line in just a few seconds. A 110-yard kickoff return for the touchdown. They got the two-pointer, so it's 14-8. And then later in the second, Stamps field goal by Rene Paradis is wide. And that is bad news for Calgary. Speedy B, Brandon Banks, is going to take this one all the way back. It's always dangerous when you miss the field goals because the cover teams on field goals are not very nimble. It's a 115-yard touchdown, tied it at 16. And then in the fourth, still tied, Jeremiah Mazzoli, two. Brandon Banks, one more time, 22-yard touchdown. Right now, 23-16 Hamilton, midway through the fourth. Also tonight, Red Blacks and Alouettes from Montreal. Kahari Jones' team, which changed its head coach after training camp, is owned by the league, but... They're showing they're a pretty good football team. Vernon Adams Jr. at quarterback. Airs it out for a wide-open Quan Bray. 75-yard touchdown. 15-12 Alouettes in the third. And then later in the quarter, Yal's threatening again. This time, Adams Jr. hits Jake Winicky in the end zone. 22-12 Montreal in front. And then in the fourth, Adams Jr. on the quarterback keeper. And the Alouettes, in impressive fashion, beat the Red Blacks in Ottawa 29-12. Both teams now 2-2 two two in the Eastern Division. Welcome back. Merritt's Roger Sloan is playing some of the best golf of his PGA Tour career right now. Last week, he finished tied for 15th, won over $100,000 in Detroit, and helped his cause to keep his tour card and even qualify for the first FedEx Cup playoff next month. But Sloan is going to need to keep the momentum going to reach both of those goals. And so far, so good at the John Deere Classic this week. Sloan began the day tied for ninth, made his big move on the back nine. This is his tee shot on the drivable par 4, 14th, playing 315 yards. Sloan with the perfect line and does in fact drive the green. What a shot by Roger, 28 feet away for Eagle. And his Eagle attempt 
They didn't really know. Looks pretty good for a while here, but just needed a little more pace. Tap in birdie is third straight birdie. Sloan is at 13 under, just one shot off the lead. And on 16, after hitting his tee shot to five feet, Sloan knocks in another birdie. Now at 14 under, remaining a shot off the lead. 18th hole, wants to finish strong, little three-footer for par, but oh, this hurts. Only his second bogey of the week, Sloan at minus 13, tied for ninth, just three off the lead, still in the hunt for the win and a big payday. Two players at the top, Cameron Tringali and this man, Andrew Landry, both at 16 under, Landry with the birdie at the 16th. Two other BC boys in good shape, Nick Taylor tied 14th at minus 11. Adam Svensson of Surrey tied 21st at 10 under. The LPGA stop is in Toledo, Ohio for the Marathon Classic. Brooke Henderson at the 18th for birdie, but uh, just misses, settled for par. But Brooke is in the top 10, tied for 7th at 9 under, but she is a, a fairways back of the lead. Lexi Thompson. This is for Eagle at 18, and she is uh, rolls it in. Thompson at 15 under. She's second, a shot behind South Korea's Se Young Kim at the Marathon Classic. Some cycling now, eighth stage of the Tour de France. Riders making their way through Saint-Étienne. Scenic 200K trek around France today. 15 Ks from the finish line. Defending champ Geraint Thomas goes down in a multi-rider crash. Four riders involved. Right there around the corner. That's usually where it happens in the tight spots. Thomas escaped unscathed, although his uh, bicycle didn't. Cross the finish line 20 seconds behind the leaders. Thomas DeGent winning today's eighth stage. Broke away and managed to hang on and cruise across the finish line. Frenchman Julien Alaphilippe, who lost the yellow jersey two days ago, claims back the yellow jersey today as uh, they're making their way towards the mountains in the Tour de France. Baseball today, Blue Jays at Yankee Stadium taking on the AL East leading Yankees. Scoreless in the sixth, Randall Gritchuk will bloop one to right. That drops and two runs score, so the Jays lead 2-0. Former Jay, Jay Happ, started for the Yankees, got charged with those two runs, although he didn't give up the hit. Tying run at third, or Jays held the Yanks off the board until the ninth. Aaron Judge with a base hit just inside the third baseline. Scores a run, makes it 2-1. The tying run moves to third. But Daniel Hudson will get Luke Voigt looking at strike three to end the ball game. Jays edge the Yankees 2-1. Yanks feel still lead the division by six and a half over Tampa Bay. Joining us on the field tonight, we welcome Tyler's mom, Debbie, brother, Garrett, stepdad, Dan, and wife, Carly. Powerful night in Anaheim last night. Angels playing their first home game since uh, teammate Tyler Skaggs passed away suddenly. That was his mother, Debbie, throwing the first pitch. A special night on so many levels. Mike Trout hit this two-run homer as a 454-foot home run, and Tyler wears number 45. So a lot of numerology going on on this night. They scored seven runs in the first inning. Angels pitchers would combine on a no-hitter. This is the uh, second last out of the ninth. They face 28 batters, just one over the minimum. 28 is the age Tyler Skaggs would have turned today. 13-0 the final score, born on the seventh month, 13th day. So on the day he was born, the sixth combined no-hitter was thrown. So isn't that something? Very emotional moment for the team. He died suddenly July 1st in his hotel room. No cause of death given, but uh, they're really 
They're going to wear a patch, of course, but it's uh, still pretty fresh to lose a, a man that young. Uh, they still don't know the cause of death. They know it's not a suicide, so it's something congenital, oh, perhaps. So, so really sad. sad. And um, the angel's certainly going to maybe use his as inspiration yeah. for the rest of the year. Nice tribute, though. Yeah, that for was sure. Really, really nice. After more than four months in a Calgary animal shelter, nine-year-old Moe's adoption made him a social media sensation. But the Shepherd Cross is back in the spotlight for a very different reason, and his story is highlighting a situation many adopted animals face. Tomasia De Silva explains why not all forever homes are forever. It's a video that made more than one pet lover shed a tear. Mo, the Calgary Humane Society's longest-term resident ever, finally adopted after 124 days. She has won everybody's hearts. Yeah. Everybody he, celebrated. But that celebration you know was short-lived. Mo, once again, Global's Pet of the Week, once again, up for adoption. This happens more often than people would think. Phil Fulton with the Humane Society says Mo and his adopted parents just weren't a match. The German Shepherd Cross is too much of a leash puller. Fulton says no one is to blame. We really, really want to encourage the community as well, especially in social media, to refrain from owner shaming or return surrendering. Let's keep it about Mo. Hi, my snuggle buddy. Hi. Chris Weber has gotten to know Mo well. The Global Calgary employee visits him every Saturday at the shelter. She was ecstatic when he was adopted. Now? It's heartbreaking. It is. Yeah, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Mo's been in the shelter far too long, and he is one of the sweetest dogs I have ever had the pleasure of being around. Happy dog? Fulton <laughs> says it's not about woe is Mo. He's a pretty terrific guy. It's just like any other relationship. It's all about fit, and uh, if, uh, if it's not working out, it's not working out. But Mo isn't alone when it comes to not working out. The downturn has meant more animals surrendered, and adoptions and donations are also harder to come by. Mo is now headed to a foster home for some training, but Fulton is confident he'll one day find his forever family and the canine celebration can resume. Tomasi Da Silva, Global News. They're home. And the SPCA's West Vancouver branch is asking the public to help out a three-year-old French bulldog who's caring for seven puppies. Panda came into their care after her owner fell ill and had to stay in an assisted living facility that doesn't allow pets. She was heavily pregnant and required a C-section to safely deliver the puppies. You can watch them on All Recover on the BC SBCA's live puppy cam. Panda's surgery and continued care is expected to cost about $4,000. Mother and puppies will be ready for adoption in about two months, Yvonne. Okay, so one oh. panda for you. I mean, one puppy, panda. puppy for all of us. So there'll be four left wow, after they're, this. They're and I do find it interesting, pan, her yeah. favorite animal, yeah, pandas. Panda. And the dog's named panda. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. I think it's a, a match, Yvonne. It is a match. Thanks Seven for joining us. Yeah. <laughs>